It's the right time for Western Oklahoma. We're real happy to have with us today Dr. Lovell, who is on our program each uh, month on the third Thursday of the month. Thanks for having me, Harold. It's and, you know, I, I didn't even, I, I got here this morning, I thought, you know, I didn't send a text. I usually do uh, just to double check with you. But you're so dependable. Well, sometimes I, I, I yeah, I'll, I'll show up uh, some days when I'm not supposed to be here, too. <laughs> some days I, I don't know you're coming and, and forgot about it. So, anyways. Good to have you on the show today. Oh, so glad to be here. Thanks for having us. First of all, to give us an update on the building project at Southwestern. Finally, finally, they are breaking ground. The bulldozers are all over the site, uh, moving ground. And I got video of it probably within a minute or two of it starting. So I'll give that to the archives. Um, Wonderful news. And it was supposed to start February 1st and just keep waiting for it to start. And then there's one bulldozer and then... Next day, there's another bulldozer sitting up there. They're not doing anything, right? But then the third day, there's a third bulldozer, and then, then it started two days. So, ago. so what's the approximate date? To two years. A couple of years to build it. Two years. We are um, up and going. Up and going. Up to two years. Yes. So. And Jody Hall, I think, is the general contractor on that yes. project, and he's a great supporter of Southwestern and Western, Western Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, mm-hmm. out of Elk City. Yes, we're very grateful for him. You know, we're fortunate to have big contractors because those are big jobs. And if, if he didn't do those, it, they would probably be contracted out of Oklahoma City because it's hard to find a general contractor that can bond to that capacity. Yes. So, good deal. Massive job. So, you brought a guest with you today. Yes, I brought Professor Laura Endicott from the History Department. And uh, she has a lot of um, expertise in early Weatherford. Now, she wasn't, she's not a native of Weatherford, but she's a, a learned to love it and the history. She's been here many decades. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's always good to have people on the show that know a lot about history. Yes, it, history is a, it's a good thing. So what do you, you teach? <laughs> uh, what classes do you teach uh, at Southwestern? I uh, teach the uh, world history classes, primarily early world history class, and then I do uh, a class in World War One and a class in World War II. Uh, I do world religions and I do Victorian England. Wow! So you, that's right up her alley, Doctor. Yeah. Yes, I, I wish I could hang out with her more often. Yeah. <laughs> she has a lot of fun. So I had Doctor Turney. Did you ever stories about Doctor Turney, who was here back when I was in school? No. He was a retired colonel in the army, and he got his doctorate and taught history. But he taught what modern, what they called modern Western Civ. But he lived that World War Two yeah. because he'd been a Secret Service officer in World War oh, wow. II. So he and it was got a lot of cutting edge, tech, you know, information that nobody else really knew about. Co- pretty yeah. cool. Sidebar there, but uh, great history department at Southwestern. That's the point I want to make. You've had some great yes. instructors over the years. Absolutely, absolutely. So you were involved in the the Weatherford history of Weatherford book, which was written in the hundredth anniversary of Weatherford. Yes, uh, what happened is probably around nineteen ninety seven. Uh, when Weatherford was uh, approaching a centennial, uh, a bunch of us got together with the idea of writing a, a history book. And we decided that what we wanted was a history book, not just a collection of of stories. And so one of the things you got to take into consideration is, of course, we wanted to be able to sell this and we wanted it to be an affordable price. So we set our affordable price between 20 and $25. And then there's only so much you can get you know, how many pages you can get in a book, how many photographs you can have for that. And we wanted to be a collaborative effort uh, uh, from uh, local historians in the, t- in, in the town and, and the university. 
So we had uh, good local historians like uh, John Donnelly, Vonda McPherson. Uh, they helped write the, the first chapter. And then uh, several of, uh, at that time, were, were the current Swazoo uh, professors helped out as well. But it was a real collaborative effort uh, on the part of, of so, so many people uh, spearheaded by, you know, Terry McGill and others that, you know, need to be credited for a lot of hard work on it. Well, it was an excellent, it is an excellent book. I've got yeah. a copy and have enjoyed reading it over the years. What's the biggest misconception just off, off the, on the top of your list about Weatherford? Biggest misconception. Uh, I think that we were a, a, a staid, boring town in the beginning. We were and, all straight-laced. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that certainly wasn't the case. I mean, Weatherford had a wild and woolly reputation up through probably the 1920s. And by the 1920s, things began to settle down. But in the early years, uh, when uh, a member of the Bush family back from, and I'm talking about people that owned, you know, the Bush beer, you know, the Budweiser, uh, they wanted, August Bush wanted to come out. And he said, okay, where's where's the wildest, wooliest town I can go to? And everybody said, you want to go to Weatherford, Oklahoma. So he was told to come to Weatherford, Oklahoma. <laughs> and that was the reputation of Weatherford from the beginning, like I said, until about the 1920s. So the, and I've read stories about the number of saloons, the number of uh, particularly lumber yards because people were building. Yes, you, you had a, at least four lumber yards and, uh, because you had all the building, not only in Weatherford, but Weatherford, once... Once the uh, Choctaw Oklahoma Gulf Railroad decided to expand west out of Memphis, they'd already gone all the way to El Reno, and they decided that they were going to expand further west. And they were scouting for a site for uh, uh, a, a railroad terminus, and so they decided on the Weatherford area. Uh, one part because of water quality; the water quality was better in this area, and. If you don't have water, well, nothing else really matters, so you need good water. And so when Weatherford is established, not only are you building Weatherford, you, it's, it's, you're going to have, it's going to increase the population with, with around Weatherford and uh, because you're going to have a lot of farms. You know, you had already had the land rush. It was pretty sparsely populated in terms of the white population. And so when you get the nucleus of a town, it also begins to attract more and more people to the farmland that was in the area. So not only do you have a lot of building in the, in the town of Weatherford at the time, you were also going to have a lot of building on the outskirts of Weatherford as well. Did, did, did the railroad end in Weatherford for a while? Yes, yes, time? yeah. And the, uh, the uh, Choctaw Oklahoma Gulf Railroad quickly turned into the Rock Island Railroad. And the Rock Island Railroad, of course, was in Weatherford for, for decades. And, uh, and, and the Rock Island Railroad played a very big role in Weatherford getting Southwestern. Uh, they made sure that they had, when they, the, Governor Barnes set up a commission on to where to pass, you know, where we're going to have uh, um, the new normal schools. They had passed legislation for six new normal schools, and there was fierce competition on where those schools were going to be, especially out in western Oklahoma. And uh, 
since Rock Island had uh, basically invested a lot of money in in the railroad and in the building of Weatherford, you know, they made sure they had three people from Rock Island Railroad to be on the the uh, Barnes Commission, and a lot of people think that's what tipped uh, the uh, the vote the vote over to, to Weatherford rather than Mangum or Granite or Mountain View or Cordell. Now Those there's controversy. The stories you know abound about that. And oh, so one oh, of the absolutely. stories I've heard is that. Granite wanted the prison over the over the university. Is there any truth to that? That I don't know the answer to. But I that that each one was trying to determine what would bring in the greater revenue for their particular town, and uh, a lot of people in Weatherford, you know, wanted to make Weatherford respectable, and they saw Weatherford's only Weatherford's only around two years old when they start the commission. And so Weatherford's established in 1898. The commission's established in, in 1900. And a lot of people saw a normal school, which is a teacher's college, uh, as a way to stabilize Weatherford and, and, to, and to make it more of a permanent settlement. Because one of your real fears is you already have, by the time we get to, to, to 1900, you already have ghost towns in Weatherford, I mean, in, in, excuse me, in Oklahoma. And so the thing is, you don't want that to happen to your town. So one way to make sure you've got stability is you get a long-term institution. And uh, so a lot of, of that's one of the reasons a lot of people in Weatherford pushed really hard to get the normal. I know there was a senator in the territorial legislature from this area, I think Weatherford, and his name is on the document. If you go down to the uh, museum, the Southwestern Museum, and look around, you'll see that document signed yeah. by, I think it was Dr. J.J. Williams, I believe was uh-huh. his name, and um, he was very involved, obviously, in the Oklahoma Senate, the, the territorial Senate. Yeah. So we ended up getting it. So, yeah. And as a result, we have Dr. Lovell here now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they, and Dr. Endicott. Yeah. And, and Endicott and yeah. a lot of other great professors yeah. over the years that have been in, yeah. in, in Weatherford and at Southwestern. But just think, you wouldn't be here today, and your dad wouldn't have been here if we hadn't probably had Southwestern. That's right, and the Carls wouldn't have been here, my grandparents. So yeah. um, I'm so, so grateful that it, yeah. it got here. I just love the early stories of teaching next to a saloon. Did our first classes in a saloon or next to a saloon? Next to a saloon. They they did try to maintain some level of propriety. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know we uh, when we had the hundredth anniversary, Doctor Hibbler was the uh, president at yep. the time, and we you may have been involved in that walk uh, from downtown where we had kind of a pep rally. Yep. And then we walked up Custer Street to the university. Oh, yeah. I wish yeah. I could have been here for that because yeah. I've read about it when the yeah. news came in. That uh, Weatherford got it over Granite, the normal school. They all yeah. walked up to the hilltop. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and then you've got that great photograph of everybody in, uh, between the administration building and the old science building. They could try to get as many people, all, many students I'm as possible. I'm in that photo, by the way. Yeah, that's a great and, photo. And it's because I walked up the street with your yeah. cousin, yeah. Les Crawl. Okay. And also John Hayes, oh, that's who wasn't right. president at the time. So we walked up together. So... So Les Crawl and Ron Hayes, I mean Ron, Ron, Ron Hayes, Les Crawl and, and John Hayes yes. and I are standing together in that photo. That's wonderful. Yeah. But it's yeah. kind of hard to see that. And I'm thinking yeah. one of these days people will look, look at that. And who are all those people? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I think they're doing that already. <laughs> I, I've looked at some of the photos of Weatherford 
yeah. as well as Southwestern, and you, yeah. you know, no names, so you have yeah. no, and you're thinking, well, is there a relative in there somewhere of yeah. mine? Now, you looked at recently some registrars uh, for, that you found. Tell you us know, about I that. Have, I should have told Professor Endicott this. So the other day, the, um, the, the um, men brought down from the attics at the administration building this huge registrar um, register. It's a massive book. And they said, it looks like it's accounting stuff. So we tried to take it down to the CFO, but the door's locked right now. And I opened it up, and basically it is our budget and every student registration with their signature from 1918, 1916 to 1928. Oh, wow. And they found nine more up there. And they are now in our archives. I, oh, yeah. I must show them to you. And it's the, so exciting. The, yeah. the, the interesting part is she had a chance to look and find your grandfather, yes. who was my seventh or eighth and ninth grade math teacher, by the way, Dr. Oh. Or Les, Les Crawl's uh, grandfather as well. That's uh, right. And it uh, said Ralph M. Crawl, and he paid $3 in tuition and $2 in fees. And he had signed it. 101 years ago and three days when I found it. Oh, oh wow. That That's great. We're going to take great. a quick break. Our guest on the program today, uh, we have Laura Endicott and Dr. Uh, uh, Laura, Dr. Lovell with us this morning on the program, so stay tuned to the right time, 22 minutes after 7 o'clock. The Right Time with Harold Wright, brought to you by Priority Home Medical Equipment on KCLI. Are you having trouble sleeping? Well, sleep apnea is a real problem and can even cause sudden death. Priority Home Medical Equipment has a large selection of CPAP machines. And tell your doctor if you need a sleep study to prescribe your equipment at Priority Home Medical Equipment. Because everybody doesn't sleep the same, they offer a large variety of masks. That's all types of cleaning supplies, filters, and hoses. Priority Medical Equipment, where dedicated service is their priority. Call them today at Priority Home Medical Equipment. Let's talk about tools. Take these pliers. They're not revolutionary technology. Even if I added sound effects and said, Pliers, the future of tool technology. You'd still just see them as something you use every day. Now let's talk about a tool that you might think is futuristic, but isn't. Genetic testing for commercial cattle. Use it to help reach your goals faster and with more confidence. Genetic testing is just a tool. Use it to build a better herd. Get started with Zoetis at beefgenetics.com. You probably know Stillwater Milling as Oklahoma's trusted source of animal feed for over 130 years. You might not know Stillwater Milling's agri-centers carry a wide variety of products to help you get the work done all around your property. Lawn and garden, pet supplies, animal health, pasture supplies, and so much more. Come see us at one of our four Stillwater Mills agri-centers or visit us online at stillwatermill.com. Maple Lawn Manor of Hydro offers a variety of health care needs for you and your loved ones. From long-term care, specialty care, Alzheimer's care, rehabilitation, and more options to help meet your needs. Everyone at Maple Lawn Manor loves our youth and supports them in sports, athletics, and whatever you dream to be. Go Bobcats! For more information about Maple Lawn Manor, visit them online at DeerCreekHealthCare.com or give them a call today. 
Brave the cold and gear up for a season of exceptional lawn care at DJ's Rentals and Sales with their winter Spartan special. For a limited time, enjoy savings on selected 2023 Spartan in-stock lawnmowers. Get $500 off the 2023 in-stock Spartan RZ Series mower and experience superior performance in residential maintenance. The 2023 RT or SRT Series mower in-stock take $1,000 off and conquer any outdoor challenge with ease. These sales won't last long, so hurry in to DJ's Rentals and Sales before they are all gone. That's DJ's Rentals and Sales, 911 South. South Main Street in Elk City. This spring break, make a splash with your family and friends at the coolest water park in western Oklahoma. Dive into the excitement of thrilling slides, laid-back lazy rivers, and wave pools that will leave you wanting to go down again and again. Open Fridays 4 to 9 and weekends 10 to 8, ensuring nonstop fun for everyone. Grab your swimsuits and towels and head to the Water Zoo Indoor Water Park in Clinton for an unforgettable spring break. The Water Zoo Indoor Water Park, just off I-40 in Clinton. 25 minutes after 7 o'clock, we have with us on our program today Laura Endicott, professor of history at Southwestern, also is the president of Southwestern Oklahoma State University, Dr. Lovell, with us on the show today. I want to get a plug-in first about the, for the Jazz Festival, which is this week. Big deal for Weatherford. It starts today. It is going for several days. It's wonderful. Lots of activities up on the hilltop with our world-renowned Jazz Festival. And uh, started by uh, Dr. Terry Segris, and I, he was, I think, going to be here for this festival. I, I don't know if he's going to make it or not. I'll have to check on that. I hope so. So, Dr. Endicott, I understand. You know, we're talking a lot about taxes right now. Everybody wants to cut taxes <laughs> in Oklahoma. But I understand that Weatherford wanted an occupational tax. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, Weatherford had, at one point, 14 saloons. If you look at some of the old uh, plats for the for the town, you'll see it says saloon, saloon, saloon. And uh, one of the things is, is that our, our history and our understanding of the saloons is uh, kind of limited because the, the local newspapers refuse to uh, carry ads for the saloons. Uh, and so, you know, that kind of diminishes our understanding of the saloons. But the, uh, the, the, the story is that Weatherford had up to 14 saloons. And when they were entering statehood, Weatherford – wanted to go dry. It wanted to go dry because of, of the normal school. Uh, uh, they wanted a good reputation, uh, you know, for uh, incoming students. They didn't want to have all these saloons. They wanted to, in a sense, rehabilitate their reputation. But saloons, on average, in Weatherford brought in about $4,500 in revenue uh, a year. That was taxed. Plus, in addition to establish a saloon, it was $500 licensing. If you had a violation of any type, it was $100. So saloons, in many ways, made money for Weatherford, from taxes to licensing to violations. They made they made a lot of money, but they're like, okay, we're going to close these down. Uh, uh, the state of Oklahoma is trying to come in as a dry uh, a state, and we want a good reputation for our, our students. But by doing so, by... Sh- closing down all of the uh, saloons, you were going to lose significant revenue uh, for the uh, for the city of Weatherford. And so uh, somebody who said, okay, this is a brilliant idea, you still had two brothels in town. And the brothels had been regulated to be separate from the saloons. And they, somebody, some city father decided what we can do is we can do an occupational tax on the ladies and uh so it got out and uh and 
The Weatherford papers only carried a little bit. Local papers, if you sometimes want to know scandalous stuff about a town, read the other town's papers because they were <laughs> because they were always anxious. They would say something bad about the oh, other town. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, at that time, our big rivalry was with Cordell. And so uh, so the Cordell Beacon would carry stories about this. Uh, but essentially, and, and the Weatherford paper eventually kind of fessed up to, yeah, we had this crazy idea that let's tax... Uh, the ladies, you know, you know, in these brothels, and they said, "Okay, you can you can tax us, but we will take to the streets with the names of our clients." <laughs> and that oh boy. that quickly quickly shut down <laughs> any <laughs> idea of an occupational tax because that would have been a very interesting. I'm sure the papers wouldn't have carried you know the names of you know anybody if the ladies had actually gone on strike and 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 let the uh, let the good town know uh, what was what was going on, but uh, but yeah, and it's hard to know exactly when the the brothels finally were shut down. They seem to have been regulated, and uh, but I think probably the last time they're mentioned, I can find a mention of them, is 1911 uh, in in the papers, and so I imagine. Again, in an effort to clean up the town and give it a better reputation, and you get students coming in to to Southwestern, and you want more students to come in. You don't you don't want parents sending their kids off to a town there that doesn't have a great reputation. So they were probably closed down by the mid nineteen uh, teens. Sad story. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the history of the Weatherford. Yeah. <laughs> Which part of that? So yeah. it's yeah. So uh, th- those interesting moments in history. I'd like to have you back on sometimes. Would oh, you do that? Th- we yes, can talk about this thank all. you. And I would just encourage people who are new to Weatherford or even if you've been here all your life, go to the library. This book's available at the library. Other great stories in the library. And there's a story uh, written by a cousin of mine in the, the uh, Southwestern Library about the Witzel family in Weatherford. Yes. And, and so uh, there's a lot of history out there about this area of the country. There Absolutely. Is. And finding these registrars that I've been talking about, I mean, we didn't think they survived the fire. From well, the no, you wouldn't think so, because no. that's where the administration was located, building. Yeah. And you would think that information would have been kept there. But apparently yeah. they were taken. No smoke out. damage, no fire damage. Isn't that amazing? Ah, I wonder where they were stored then. We they... don't know, but they were upstairs in the 1940s. Um, administration building that we have now. I'll show them to you. I can't yeah. wait to show them. Oh to yeah, you. that good. would be exciting. Anything else? Uh, jazz you got the Building Star Jazz Festival this yes, week. Yes, Thursday and Friday. I said the weekend. I meant um, especially. When's to... the big night where people, they do the the, the public uh, jazz program? Well, we've got tonight the Swasu Jazz Festival from um, seven to ten p.m. and it's the fifty fourth annual Swasu Jazz Festival. Fifty four years. Very good. And, and tomorrow, lots is going on, too. You can Google Swasu Jazz Festival. Dr. Diana Lovell on the program, and you made an announcement the other day. Are you, you sure. willing to make that announcement yes. to, on the radio this morning I, as well? I'm very excited to tell uh, everyone my good news that I'm getting married in May. And um, Congratulations. Thank you. And I am really, really glad now that we've decided to marry that he is a two-time Swasu graduate. Both the chemistry and pharmacy, 
Mm. But I, would, I always laugh that I would never have gone on a date with him if I had known he was a swatsuit. <laughs> now, you planned it that way. You came to Oklahoma, and I, I'm in Southwest. Are there any guys out there that gra- – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to do that. But uh, Just a coincidence. Yes, yeah, a coincidence. Uh, he's from Ada, so you met, uh, I suppose, uh, maybe – He was born in Elk City, and he has worked in Ada for many years as a pediatrician. Very good. Yeah. Dr. Lovell, thank you for being on thank the show. Thank you, Harold, for all you do. And Professor Endicott, thank you for sharing thank with us and come back. Thank you for we'll having have me. have you on. These history stories are great. Mm-hmm. I love them. Tune in every weekday at 6 a.m. for The Right Time with Harold Wright. Brought to you by Priority Home Medical Equipment on 99.3 News Talk KCLI.